Tonight I begin a series that I will call Inward Truth. Inward Truth. So if you have a notepad and you had your Bibles, this is a good time to take notes and to participate in the Bible study. Over the next several Wednesdays in this month, we're going to uncover a few things that are normally not discussed or not revealed within church settings. And mostly because we have learned as a society how to be religious without learning how to follow Jesus. It seems like that should not, those two concepts should not uh, exist, but they certainly do. So there's a massive group of quote-unquote religious people who do not know very much about Jesus, and they are farther away from anything that attends to the Scripture. So are you ready now? Is everybody ready? So you have a notepad? If we could strip ourselves of all of our religious practices and experience, which incidentally are not bad, Here's a big disclaimer. Thank God for spiritually minded people. I want to be a spiritually minded person. But if we could just look into the Bible and see the initial desire of God. What is God's initial desire? If we could see his initial plan. Then we'll begin with a single word in order to understand that plan. I'll say this for the benefit of those here and at home. Getting real can be a very dangerous thing. To be self-exposed can be a daunting task. It means that our fears and pride and hang-ups and all the things that we suppress or we cover up would be laid open for scrutiny even by other people. I suppose that the greatest lessons uh, come from people who are willing to be real about their life and about their decisions. And in fact, if you read the Bible, David will help us like almost no other biblical figure. In fact, his entire life will lay bare before all of the world. Millions of people have poured over every aspect of his life. As many lessons and sermons as I have drafted from him myself, I'm still at the beginning of his expose. He was a man who revealed himself and the Bible revealed him in every aspect. All of his highs and lows, all of his failed expectations, all of his victories and all of his failures and the things that attended to him. So to become real, to become genuine and true, and I I say this to everyone here, I'm striving to be a genuine apostolic Christian man. I'm not striving to be a preacher. I'm not striving. I'm not desiring to be a pulpiteer. Whatever comes from this pulpit, 
I want it to be born, B-O-R-N-E. I want it to be born out of a life that I'm living. That's right. And that takes some doing. That does not begin on Sundays. It does not begin on Wednesdays. That is every day of every week, of every month, every year. That's right. To become real and genuine, to become true, it takes a lot of soul searching. And I dare say that while many will listen to this lesson, um, many might view it online, but perhaps few will actually work on their realness. It's just too difficult. I will tell you, it's a lot easier to play church than it is to get real with God. I've been in this all my life. I grew up in the church. My father was a pastor all of my life, and I grew up around church people. And I've met some wonderful, wonderful saints of God, very true church people. And I've met a lot of frauds. And so thank God I kept my faith. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I kept my faith. And I had a good mama and daddy who taught me to look towards the Lord and not towards people. My youth leader backslid and had an affair. My youth leader had an affair with the, with the organ player. And his marriage split apart. That's not good. You know, that usually hurts the youth group. And there's always a problem, you know, when these things happen. My Bible quizzing coach, one of my Bible quizzing coaches backslid. After helping us with all memorizing all those thousands of verses, he backslid. My youth leader's name was Mike and my backslider, my, my, my Bible quizzing coach's name was Mike. I don't know if that has any reference or any bearing on all of you people that are called Mike, but just start praying really hard if that's your name. Just a joke. Um, when, you, when you get real, friends start to change. Your acquaintances become different. Um, things change when you really get real with God and with yourself. It, being a genuine Christian can actually give peace to other people, but it can be a detraction to others. And of course, once you start this process of stripping away uh, all facades, then you could be stunted by fear. Of course, a lot of folks don't want to get real because they have fear that other people will judge them. All of us in this house have a problem, a hang-up, an issue. Everyone. No one has attained perfection. We are all striving. Even Paul said, I press for the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God. I press for it. He even said, I forget those things which are behind. Not that I have attained anything. Wow. So if Paul is presenting that, Paul, who was a great apostle, the greatest soul winner, and turned Asia Minor upside down and wrote 13 books of the Bible. If Paul is saying that and that he said he dies daily, surely we all must press. So if you start to get real and you're genuine, then you are scrutinized. 
about how you own, how you operate your own family and the business that you operate in and and your job and and what you do it's all all of that's going to be considered but when you are not real you can hide behind multiple things you can hide behind carnality or you can hide behind religious practices yes have you ever noticed how easy it is for some people to give direction to other people even though they have no respect among their own family or children? Do you know why that is? Because those closest to them know them very well. That's a danger right there. So what they do is they're going to direct everyone else, but they failed in their own life, so they become judgmental about other people and their lives. Be careful before you decide you're going to guide someone's life. That's why Paul said there shouldn't be many teachers among you. Be very careful. The moment you open up your mouth, you become responsible for your own advice. I stand in a very dangerous place. This is not a pleasant place to stand. Because I have to become, I am responsible for all that I teach you. That's why I try to spend as much time working on my four children I need more time working on them. Now, the church really doesn't want me to do that because the church, by and large, wants me to spend time with the church. But if I spend time with them, it gives validity, validity to what I say before you. If I neglect them, as many pastors have neglected their own families, they speak what they know to the church, but they lose their own family. I'm not willing to do that. How are we doing? Are we doing okay? See, I'm getting real with you now. <laughs> it's uncomfortable the moment I get real people people the light bulb goes on and says uh oh I'm not pastor's main priority who would have thought <laughs> who would have thought I've, I've got four children who have this crazy notion I should be their father I don't know who told them that I've got this lady my wife I know who she is I know where she goes I can track her through GPS and also every time she buys something, a little bell goes off in the computer. I know. We've opened up another account at Macy's or wherever. Bed, bath, and beyond. How many discounts can we get today? The moment I say these things, we realize priorities, ladies and gentlemen, priorities. And every day I pray for my children and work on them. Because the only way for me to practice what I preach is if I practice it outside of your purview. Ooh. That's tough. But when I see people trying to guide other people's lives, but they've never fixed or worked on their own family, it throws up a red flag right away. Uh-oh. Where are your children? See... You are who you are at home. The privacy of your home is probably the real you. I won't deviate here too much. I'm not into the lifestyles of the rich and famous. I forget that man's name, but, uh, but he, 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 old, old, old show, the rich and famous. And he'd show everybody... You know, if someone's house or mansion or the yachts. I forget his name. British accent guy. 
Uh, I'm not too much into that. I do remember, I remember the sound of his voice. But of course, there are moments now that celebrities are changing a lot of things. In fact, last year was 2019. It was the year that celebrities were going to get real. Now, they weren't really real. <clears throat> but they said in some of the magazines that we're, they were going to go without what they called war paint. I don't know if you've heard of this. They were going without war paint. I'm quoting them. And that actually meant that they were going to go without makeup. So I was reading last year about a small movement. Of course, it's faded away. It doesn't last long. These celebrities were going to go, they were going to forego their war paint. And, and they did. So they had their pictures together without what they called, I don't know where, what war they were in, but it was, it was something. And they didn't even look like the same person. It was a completely different person. And they, they all were standing there and I, and I didn't recognize any of them. And even if they, some of them had their war paint on later, I didn't know what, I didn't recognize them either because I, I am behind the times. I want to have my own conference called Behind the Times. And, the, and there they were. So realness is much like removing the facade. It's what God sees every time he looks at you. He sees the real you. And before I get to the word that we need, that one word that we need to look at, the, the initial word, I want to introduce to you this lesson, the inward truth. It's core teaching. I'm going to talk to you about the core, your core. I, I have to tell you, there are grown adults still arguing with their deceased parents. And they argue with them through lifestyle choices. They're angry with the decisions of their parents and they're living out their rebuttal. Even to their own demise, there are grown adults that are so angry about what their parents did or the decisions their parents made that they're going to do things to their own detriment as rebuttal to their deceased parents. I, I want you to strip away everything and I'm, we're going we're gonna to dig down and it's going to be a wonderful, refreshing moment. But for those of you who take this journey with me, you're going to grind a little bit and peel away stuff that you've been holding on to. Things that are like a security blanket to cover up whatever inadequacies that you have. Core teaching. Core is the center. It's the interior. It's the middle. It's the nucleus. It's the depth. Literally, it's the midst of it all. The core. If I find your core... That means I found your motive. When I find your motive, I always say, when I find the motive, I found the man. What is it that motivates you? Let me offer you a couple of scriptures as an introduction to the, our teaching here. David is going to repent. And in his time of repentance, he declares a truth about God. 
He's repenting, but he declares a truth about God. You should write this down. Psalm 51, verse 6. I'll read it in the King James and the NIV. So both the New International Version and the King James Version. Here's the, here's the KJV. David said about God, Behold, thou desires truth in the inward parts. That's core. You could even put core. And in the hidden part, core, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. You want truth coming from the depth, the midst, the center. Here's the NIV. Behold, thou desirest in the inward part, you'll make me known. Faithfulness even in the womb. Secret place. This, this depth. Let me give you another scripture. It's Proverbs chapter 20. Verse 27. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Searching all the inward parts of the belly. Here's verse, here's that again in NIV. The lamp of the Lord searches the spirit of a man. It searches out his, his most inward or his inmost being. Down in the core. I'll give you one more. This is the prophetic plan of God displayed through the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. In the Old Testament, God knew he was going to pour out the Holy Ghost in the New Testament. And he was going to make a new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the prophetic word of Jeremiah about the new covenant. He said, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. Pause right there. See, before that, the law was written down. It was the law of the prophets. It was the law of Moses. But God said, there's going to come a day. You're not going to read it on a tablet of stone or a parchment. It's going to be in your heart. And I'm going to put it in your core, your inward part, an inward truth. I'm going to write it in their hearts. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Because to really be the people of God, it's never ever written on the outside. It's written on the inside and it manifests itself on the outside. The manifestation of God in my life does not come from my speech. It comes from my core, my heart. Because the Bible says out of the abundance of the mouth, the heart speaks. My heart is talking to you, not my mouth. When you hear the charlatans and when you hear people speak that have no, they have no relationship with their content, those are people who are speaking from their mouth and not from their heart. We have a whole lot of that going on and it has been going on for many years. It's cut and paste sermons. You can download them from sermoncentral.com or something. That you can, they're printed off in books. You can buy these 10 point, 5 point, 20 point sermons from Zondervan's or from Open Door or from all these places. You can buy these sermons, but they're not from God. They're not applicable for the moment. They're thematic themes. Are you with me? Everybody okay? Okay, if you're home, shout amen. amen. Well, if you're home, if your guys are home, not the people here. Some people shouted amen here, which means that their minds are home. No, I'm sorry. That, that, that's not true. That's unfair of me. I provoked that. So I just, my, my first part here is inward truth. Everyone say inward truth. 
That's the truth that consists of the principles that guide our lives. Inward truth. It is the basis of decision making, the foundation of a belief system, and the direction of our lives. Inward truth. Let's just do it again. That is, those are the principles that guide our lives. Inward truth. It is the basis of decision making. It's the foundation of your belief system. It's the direction of your life. The inward truth. Eventually, what you believe will lead you. It'll give you the direction where you're going. What you really believe. See, this is what happens. If we don't teach our children truth and we have a love for truth, they'll grow up and have no relationship with the Lord. And when they turn a certain age, they'll deviate from it. Because they grew up under parents who did not believe in the Lord or the teaching of the scripture. And they didn't love it either. So they didn't have a core belief and there was no inward truth. The inward truth means that you can, you may not remember what you said, but you know if you're telling the truth, you don't have to go back and try to recall it. If you tell a lie, you always have to remember what you said. If you tell the truth, you never have to remember what you said. And I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful that if I tell the truth, I don't have to remember because I can't remember what I said. I can't remember where I put my wallet, my car keys. I even have one of those little squares that, that my kids bought me for Christmas. And you push it and it connects to your wallet and it, and it, and it dings. And your wallet will ding because it's in the car and the couch and it's a square. But I forgot to put it on my keychain. So I push it. And then if I did, finally when I did put it on my keychain, it's a wonderful device except if you lose your keychain and your wallet at the same time. Now I need another square so I can track down where I put the other square. Little GPS stuff. And then I need something to tie around my finger and some other stuff and I need some people to track it down. I used to give my kids money if they could find my wallet. Till I figure it out, I think one of them was hiding my wallet just so to make a little bit of cash on the side. <laughs> uh -huh. he, needs, <laughs> he needs some truth in his life. That's a problem. Here's the second part of our lesson. And, and the, sec the first part is just the declarative of inward truth. But the second part is that big word. It's the first challenge of mankind. The word, ladies and gentlemen, is obedience. It's the first challenge. And I'll just give you a couple of working definitions. It's the ability to make a decision. Because you can't have obedience until you have the ability not to obey. The challenge is having the ability to say yes or no. The challenge, it was represented by this tree, by, by the decision of one man. Here's Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Why do we die? We die because of disobedience. Because disobedience of one man brought about the inception of death 
Verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgressions. So even if they had not sinned, death was still introduced into the world. Who is the figure of him that is to come? Adam is the figure of him. Jesus is actually called in the Bible the second Adam. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God. And by, and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. That means just as Adam introduced death, Jesus introduced life. Just as Adam sinned and put a curse on everyone, now Jesus took the offense. He died And the gift of grace, or the grace of God, was given to everyone. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Mankind, or Adam, had a job. His first job was to be a gardener, a horticulturist. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree, you get to have everything. Verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest, you'll die. Why would the Lord do that? I was teaching a Bible study years ago, and a lady was in the Bible study, and she was very upset. And I knew she was upset, and her eyes were very teary. And I just paused and said, is there something that I said? And she said, why would God put a tree in a garden and then say, don't eat it? Why would God do that? And so I had to go through this process Because if God did not give you an opportunity to do wrong, you would never know that you did right. There had to be a polar for you to be a free moral agent. There had to be the opportunity to turn left or right. If you had the opportunity, then you knew that you were obedient. Because obedience is only established Get this now. That's going to be a very big thing next week. Obedience is always established. When you do something for which you do not agree. Oh, no. Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to get to it. We're going to peel some layers off. When the Lord set up the garden... He gave everything to Adam and Eve. But he said, one thing is reserved for me, not for you. Some things in God's order are reserved for some things. There are boundaries. God instituted boundaries. If you're looking at the world at large, you're going to see a world that's fighting against the boundaries of the Lord. Decency is a boundary. A husband and a wife in a relationship is a boundary. Adultery traverses the boundary. It's against the order of God. The analogy was made years ago. I'll I'll make it again. I'll make it my own. A fire in a fireplace gives warmth. It's wonderful. We love to have a fire in a fireplace. But if the fire gets out of the fireplace, it'll burn the house down and destroy everything. Everyone loves a fire. No one would argue against the fire. Put the fire in the fireplace. We love the fire. 
go out to the woods, have a camp, but make a little circle, make sure the fire stays in the circle. It's a boundary. An intimate relationship within the boundary is permitted and ordained by God. But when it becomes outside of the boundary, it destroys everything around it. Paul would call it the work of the flesh. How are we doing? Okay. So the problem is we're living in a world that wants to remove all the boundaries and say it's permissible. Why? Because we deemed it so. That's not really life. That's not reality. So I'm talking to you tonight and we're starting this inward truth and we have to begin where the Lord began. And he began with obedience. It was in the garden. It was a measure of obedience. You can have all of this, but you can't have that. And when he instituted that, he introduced opportunity of obedience or disobedience. And we call the disobedience sin. Did you know what disobedience is now? Who knows? Disobedience is sin. Say it again. Disobedience is sin. Uh-oh. This is a big problem for Christians. Because we don't believe, truly believe, that disobedience is sinful. I'll show you this next week. I'm really excited about next week. I wasn't really excited about tonight. Can you tell? I'd like to just skip ahead to next week. Why didn't I just start on next week? Because then you wouldn't know what I was talking about. Okay, number three. Number three, we have, to, we have to examine the life of Jesus Christ. It's the example of the Lord. So there's so many scriptures, but I want to just read from Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. And I want to just talk about this example of Jesus Christ. Here's Paul's um, declaration of him. Speaking of Jesus, he, but he made himself of no reputation. Now, this was not the desire of the Jews. They wanted a Messiah that would be a king and would overthrow the Roman Empire. But the Lord made himself of no reputation. Not only that, but he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. This was very different from what they were looking for. That's why they didn't recognize the Lord. And Jesus stood before the Pharisees and said, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have life, and they are they which testify of me. Sometimes we have a difficult uh, perception because Jesus doesn't come in the manner we want him to come. We, we, we have a thought of how he should be. Verse 8, And being found in fashion as a man. This is... The incarnate God presenting himself with limitations. A fashion as a man is a, a declarative of human limitations. Sleep, rest, hunger, pain, all of our limitations. Jesus was tempted as every man is tempted, but he did not sin. These are all the limitations of man. He humbled himself. He became, what did Jesus do? He became obedient unto death. He's in the garden praying, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. 
He's struggling. What is struggling? The flesh of Jesus Christ is struggling. The humanity is struggling with the spirit, the eternal spirit. The dual nature of Jesus Christ is in an internal tug of war. But he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It's the example of Jesus Christ. You have to look at the obedience of Jesus Christ. If Jesus exampled obedience, his church must also example obedience. See, core Christianity always entails obedience. The moment you meet someone who is disobedient, that's the moment you know their religion is vain. They are a fraud. They are not true. They have no obedience because they only do things they like and agree with. Oh my. And I will tell you, adults don't always see it, but young people see right through all of that facade when there are people who act like they are spiritual but are disobedient in their life. Uh oh. When you peel away the layers, people get exposed. People get exposed. And I will say tonight, we better get back to the core because if we don't get to the core and have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's going to come through obedience. Not only will the world figure us out, the devil already knows, but our children will figure it out. Mom and dad really don't believe what they're doing. They don't really believe this. And their children will grow up and they'll have no relation with God because they will emulate the disassociation that their parents had with the church and with the truth. And if you think you're, you're, you're if you th- if you're living a facade, God knows and the devil knows. There were seven brothers. They got together and they thought this was great. Hey, you know, we've been seeing this on the news and, you know, Paul's walking around and casting out devils and everything. Let's go try that. Let's try it. They found a man possessed with the devils, these demons in him. So the seven sons, their dad's name is Sceva. All the Sceva boys got together. They came. They gathered around this man who was possessed with the devils. And they said, we command you. We adjure you. Come out of that man. And the devils, the Bible said this, and the demons replied, Paul we know, Jesus we know, but who are you? And this is what your Bible says. And that man jumped on those seven men, tore their clothes off, beat them up, and they all seven of them ran away naked. You don't, you don't, you're, I don't care what you think. You, you, you're, not, you're not faking out the devil. You're not faking out God. And you're probably not faking out your family. When you live in disobedience, you're the only one who thinks no one knows. All right. Because core Christianity always begins with obedience. In fact, obedience is the way that people come to Jesus Christ. Who was it that was hardest to reach in the days of the apostles? Who was it? It wasn't the sinner, the publican, the tax collector. No, just like today. You know, the hardest people to reach are people who are religious. But even those people who are religious, who were religious in the days of of the apostles? It was the people who served in the temple, the priest. 
How could they be saved? Read your Bible, Acts chapter 6, verse 7. And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied where? In Jerusalem, greatly. And a great company of the priests came to the faith. How did they come? It's in your Bible. They were obedient to the faith. So no matter where you stand, if you've had a long history with, with Christianity, or if you know nothing, everybody comes through obedience. Oh, yes. And Paul said in Romans six seventeen. this is a good scripture to write down. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. Yes, you were sinners. But you have done what? Obeyed from the heart, the core, the middle, that form of doctrine that was delivered you. You obeyed the doctrine. When I stand up and say there's only one baptism and it's in the name of Jesus, that's the core doctrine. Amen. It's in the Bible. It's there in the Bible. Jesus was baptized as an example. He told them, go in all the world and baptize people. Ask what we're doing. How did they baptize? In the name. What's the name? The name is Jesus. Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Nobody was ever baptized in the Bible other than in the name of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm baptizing. I'm not trying to purposely oppose any other church. I'm just doing it the Bible way. The Bible told me to go baptize people in the name of Jesus. So I'm, I'm doing it. Paul did it. Peter did it. Philip did it. They baptized people in the name of Jesus. That's why we're baptized. That's the form of doctrine that's delivered to you. Why do you do that? Why did you do it? Well, because, you know, I had this dream. I didn't have a dream. No angels came down. I didn't have a dream. I was obedient. Don't wait for an angel to come and tell you that you should obey the Bible. Just read in the Bible. In fact, Paul said if an angel comes and tells you something different, that angel's cursed. Because Paul already wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He wrote, just like a lawyer dictates to his, to his paralegal, the writers of the Bible just wrote what the one author told them to write. Amen. So how were the priests saved? And how were the, how were the, how were the, the tax collectors and the public? They were saved through obedience. Obedience. It's that form of doctrine, the core from the heart. Here's number five. The fleshly nature, my nature, put your hand on yourself. Put your hand on yourself. My nature always opposes the law of God and spiritual authority. Confess that. My nature is to always oppose the law of God. That's right. Now, if I had my mother here tonight, she would not do this because she would just say, Oh, no, honey, I've been living for the Lord too long. And, I, and that's, that's when my brother and I get to tell her a bunch of other scriptures about how she needs to repent. <laughs> no, Rosie. Our nature, Rosie, is to disobey the word of God. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the nature you're going to fight until you die. You're going to fight That nature that you were born with. Yes, you're born again. Yes, you're a new creature. But if Paul had to get up every day and say, I'm going to crucify this flesh again today. Don't think that you have scaled and you are scaled the mountain and you are over that. No. 
Something or someone is going to come and they're going to they're going to poke you. They're going to be a thorn in your side. They're going to say something to you. And you are going to have to get over what they said and what they did. And if you don't, you're going to have some bitterness and anger in your heart. Amen. It was Adam's first and only real challenge. His nature. It's the challenge of our lives. The nature. What is it? Who teaches little children to lie? There's a first, one of the first things they learn is how to lie and tell a fib. Little, little children. Did you take that? No. And they did take it. Roman was a little, little boy and he had like $10 or something in his wallet. We couldn't figure out where it was. Finally, we said, Nico, he was a little, little boy. Nico, did you take the $10? No. Do you know where it's at? No. Finally, we got down to it and it took forever. You mean this $10? He said, got it out of his wallet. You mean this $10? We said, yes. He said, oh. We said, how'd you get that? He said, well, I took it out of his wallet and put it in my wallet. Seemed like a good transaction. Who, who, who taught us that? That's the nature. We were born in sin. David wrote, and in sin did our mother conceive us. We were born this way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. How is that? Why is it so hard to simply obey? I'll tell you why. Because the nature of mankind always opposes the nature of God. That's right. So Paul's all communications about spiritual insights and revelations and exploits. Pause all the church things for a moment. Go back to the simplicity of the word. Obey. Obey. I'm going to obey the word. We've made it complex because we implemented conditional objections to obedience. I'll obey as long as. Once again, next week. Bring your notepads. Let's just investigate a little bit, and I'm almost through. Let's investigate 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is a... In a matter of a few verses, a major high and a major low. There are three, um, two men and, and God is going to be presented in this chapter. I won't read all of it, but I'm just skimming down. Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you to be king. That was verse 1. In verse 3, there's a command to kill the Amalekites. They were a band of guerrilla terrorists. They killed people. They lived off of the product of other people. They, the Amalekites did not farm. They stole all the produce and goods and crops of other nations. They did horrific things to, to the people that they captured. And God wanted them utterly destroyed. Utterly destroyed. In fact, God said, don't spare anyone, no one. And even all the people and all the Amalekites and all their sheep and all their oxen, everyone, all their camels... Wipe it all out. Of course, later on we'll find out because of that disobedience, the Amalekites came back and was a continual thorn in the side of Israel. And Saul, just really getting out of the box, he goes to the valley and he, he wages war. But the problem was, he didn't kill them all. He spared Agag. Now, why would he spare the king of the Amalekites? It was a matter of prestige. 
It made him look like the better man not to kill the leader or the head of another nation. It gave, this was, the, this was a, a matter of, I, because I'm so powerful, I can spare your life. I know that sounds a little odd in our day, but that's how they thought of it. And he brought back and he picked out some of the best lambs and the best oxen. And the Bible says even of the fatlings. And he kept them back. But God spoke to Saul and he said, you need to go because the king that I've set up has disobeyed me. Now when God says he repents, it doesn't mean like you repent. He changed his mind. And in verse, if you look at verse 11, God said, it repenteth me that I've set up Saul to be king. He's turned back from following me. He didn't obey me. He didn't perform my commandments. And what did, what was Samuel's reply in that same verse? He grieved, the Bible says, and he cried unto the Lord all night. Why would the prophet cry all night? You know why? Because Samuel understood the detriment and the destruction that disobedience brings upon a king and upon a nation. We do not think in those terms. We think disobedience is conditional and it doesn't matter and we're all okay and the church will be okay if a couple people are disobedient. But if you go back and look at Jericho, the Bible says that Achan kept back part of the spoils of war from Jericho. And because of that, the next battle, Israel lost and people died. And one of the problems that the Christian church is having, especially the Pentecostal church, is that we have such disunity. Because we are baptized in the Holy Ghost, people think they can do whatever they want to. We're in. We can do whatever we want to. And so disobedience causes not just confusion, but we don't win the battles we were meant to win. Because people in the church are disobedient to the word of God. They're disobedient to the authority and the spiritual people in their lives. That's right. And this grieves me. It grieves me. It grieved Samuel. He laid awake all night and cried unto the Lord all night. Because the people rejected spiritual authority. They took upon them a king. And that king disobeyed God. And God said, I, I, I'm turning my back. I am removing myself. I, it repenteth me that I ever set him up in the first place. Oh my. Verse 20. Saul said to Samuel when he came. Saul is going to twist it. Samuel has addressed him. What are you doing? You disobeyed. And what did Saul say? The king said to the prophet. Yes, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. This is a twisting. I've gone the way which the Lord sent me. That's not true. See, this is called self-declaration. When people disobey God, they change what God commanded to make themselves look good. They're not true. They got their war paint on. They're covering up themselves. Nobody to date walks around and says to me, Yep, I'm disobedient. That's me, Pastor. I'm disobedient. Why do you have, you know, when people have trouble in their life, when they have trouble... And they're having heartache and pain. And they come to, to me and talk to me about it. And I say, well, what's wrong? I don't know. I have no idea. I'll tell you what, because you're disobedient to God. You're going to hear me speak about this coming up 
but just take this. What's wrong? Sister Mooney, who recently passed away, our sweet Sister Mooney, you know what the first thing she would ask people? Are you faithful in your tithes and offerings? You having problems? You faithful in your tithes and offerings? Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear those words. Because <laughs> you think you can bypass the order of the Lord and still be blessed. You cannot be blessed. You cannot be blessed. Is it okay if you hear this twice in one week? Can you hear it on Sunday a little bit? Okay. Well, 5%. Okay. And this is what Samuel is doing. He's taking God's command and he's making it look like he was compliant. Because that's what the fleshly nature does. It opposes the Holy Spirit every time. The fleshly nature will create spiritual endeavors. Think of this now. The fleshly nature will create spiritual endeavors to bypass the command of God. Well, the Lord wants me to do this. Really? No, I think the Lord wants you to be obedient. Watch that. People with spiritual endeavors that don't have obedience in their life to their spiritual authority, they're just really disobedient. That wasn't a God-given endeavor. This is the problem that folks are going to have around me. Now, if, now if you get a pastor, we, and we may have one someday in this house, I don't know. If you get a pastor who didn't grow up in the church, and the Lord called him later in life, he's not going to have all this stuff. But I have all this stuff. I have all this because I grew up watching people play games in church, grown adults, shouting on Sunday. Dancing on Sunday. Devils on Friday. Talking about everybody on Tuesday. Gossipers on Thursday. In those days we had testimony service where people would stand up in the church and testify. This was the joy of my life. It was comedy hour. Every once in a while we'd have a good testimony, but most of them were terrible testimonies. People would actually argue during their testimonies. Thank God I'm not a sinner like that person over there. I don't know. I was at a revival and I preached a revival. I don't know. It was a long time ago. I was not married. I preached this revival. So it must have been, uh, we've been married 25, so maybe like 28 years ago. Preaching revival and, and the lady in the church did not like the sermon I preached the night before. So during the testimony service, she quoted several lines from my sermon and said, I don't believe any of that, but I'll tell you what, I believe God. And the pastor was sitting next to me. He said, I'm so mad at that woman. She always does that. <laughs> I didn't rebut her because I was afraid that she would just get up. We'd have an argument right there during my sermon. So I just let it be. You just, you know, the Bible says you, you, if you rebuke a fool, they'll hate you for it. So I'm sure that she qualified. <laughs> yeah. Watch this. I've seen this happen many times. People use church things, even Bible concepts, to oppose and reject simple obedience. They'll say they're obedient like Saul. And then throw in their own version of what they think the command was supposed to be. You see, the opposite of obedience, and I'm going to end here, is rebellion. Everyone say rebellion. And we're going to get to rebellion next week. Praise God. Please stand with me now. And those of you at our home, I want you to bow your heads and let's pray.
Father, I thank you for your word. And I pray tonight that you would help us and bless us and keep us. I pray, Lord, that the inward truth that we are seeking, Lord, will be revealed in our own lives. Let us become genuine, real, definitive, apostolics in a world that is very confused and needs to know Jesus Christ. Let the church shine as a beacon of hope. Let there be power and unity in the body of Jesus Christ. Amen. And everyone said in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I thank you.